Heavenly Father, Lord, we are going to explore about how you intercede for us, and you do, and we thank you that you do. Lord, we also thank you that you have given us life, that we might live for you, that we might know you. Please help us in our time this morning to put aside all those things that distract us, Lord, because sin on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, last week, we, well, we are in a, uh, a series called Gentle and Lowly, and last week, Doug started the series off uh, calling us to consider the implications of Jesus' invitation uh, to find rest in him for our souls. And Jesus is gentle. Jesus is accessible. Unlike rule-based religion, Jesus does not keep a list of do's and don'ts <laughs> that qualify us or, or, or an exhausting demand on us. When Jesus calls us to obedience, he does it with his mercy and his compassion, his patience, and his forgiveness. Now, uh, at the end of Doug's sermon, he left us with a question, which is, is it that keeps me from resting in Jesus? What is it? So that's something for you to have thought about last week. I'm not sure what you've come up with. Um, but for each of us, that will be different. And for me, I would say one of the things that keeps me from being uh, resting in Jesus is the busyness of life. I can let myself get too busy, too distracted, so I don't take time to be with him. Now, even for Christians who have found forgiveness of our sins through Christ, which should bring us peace and rest, many of us seem to slide back into being anxious and leery of our failure. And instead of confessing our current sins and resting in the mercy of Christ, we get distracted by our sins. The gospel of forgiveness of sins is open, opens the door for the Christian life. And it also takes us through this life as we repent and find yet more mercy to grow in, more for our walk with Christ. And today we'll be looking into another aspect of Jesus' ongoing ministry to us, and that is that Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes in the lives of his believers in order to limit the adversary, to bless the course of the believer's sanctification. That's a, that's a big theological word, sanctification. If you allow me a rough analogy of it, it is the removal of our sinful habits and the putting on of Christ's character in our lives. And because God can get our attention most easily in our trials, he often uses them to reveal areas in which we need to address our character our understanding of him, and to have more revelation of who he is. So we're going to start off with a story. This is uh, in the mid-1950s, shortly after the Cold War had begun, the U.S. placed squadrons of newly developed jets uh, in strategic places in Europe to be the leading edge against a Soviet threat. Um, an American pilot was assigned, to the, with his, along with his squadron, to a base on the east coast of England, right beside the North Sea. 
One day, while practicing squadron maneuvers, his plane developed significant control problems, not minor ones. The problems quickly progressed and soon made maneuverability very precarious. In short, the plane was soon going to be out of control of the pilot. Getting back to the base likely, and even if possible, probably would end in a crash landing. Protocol in this situation for where he was along the coast was to point the plane, if possible, out to sea and bail out over the beach area. And I believe he was advised to do that very thing. At this time, thousands of miles away in Iowa, it was still dark. The pilot's mother-in-law was startled awake with a great fear for the safety of her son-in-law. She only knew that he was in great danger, and it probably had something to do with flying, and so she prayed. She interceded for him in prayer through Jesus for his safety, and then left it in God's hands. It was at that time the pilot had to make a decision of what to do, to choose to disregard the danger and risk of an emergency landing at the base to save the plane or to bail out. Well, the plane was saved. The pilot was later honored for valor for landing a plane that with all its problems should have had a crash. The mother-in-law, she got no medal. But she was greatly encouraged and in awe for days when she finally did learn that God was waking her to pray for her son-in-law and play a part in God's plan. Sometimes, like in this instance, God pulls the veil back and we see what he is doing to intercede for our protection. How? By letting the mother-in-law in on what was happening. Had she not been woken, no one would have known the difference. It would have only looked like the pilot had a lot of skill or luck. But God purposely woke her up. So that later, people would know God carried that plane to a landing. Not the pilot. God was looking out for that pilot. What should this tell the pilot about how God cares for him? What does it tell the mother-in-law? That we can be recruited into interceding for other people? And that when God wakes us up in the middle of night with something like this, yes, you better do it. You better intercede. What does that tell you and me about intercession, about Christ? Most of the time, the Lord does not bring the veil back on what he's doing. It goes on without us knowing. We have no idea how many times he has saved us from tragedy. Jesus intercedes for us because he loves us. He is interceding for us right now, and that might be something you had not considered. So let's look at the evidence in the scripture that relates to this. I'm going to be going through some larger chunks at times, but all of it seems to come back to help pointing out how Jesus intercedes. So uh, please follow along. 
In Hebrews chapter 7, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. There it is. Because Jesus' heart is bent to compassion toward all people, he intercedes for all people in some. Jesus interceded throughout his many years of ministry. And for example, we look in Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing, this is scripture, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Some of you will remember this. Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, we're not Ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus interceded for people in general as he preached his gospel. Even at the crucifixion, Jesus interceded for the unbelieving Roman soldiers who were there, who were there to execute him. He said, Father, for for they know not what they do. He is interceding. He intercedes, and Jesus prays for the lost sinner to seek and find and choose salvation. He is patient toward all, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His salvation from the penalty of sin is open to all who will trust in him. So Jesus prays for the lost. He intercedes a little differently for the believer, something greater and beyond. In John 17, in his prayer, it's his high priestly chapter is, for his disciples... And in that, he makes a distinction between them, his disciples, and the world. He says, I am praying for them, his disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, we have already established that Jesus intercedes for the lost in some measure. So don't think badly of Jesus because he makes a distinction between the lost in general and his disciples. He is making a distinction like you and I do. I am to act kindly and gently towards all children. But for those of my who see me as their father are to receive more of me than the neighbor's kid because they are mine. I am to raise them. I am to prepare them. I am to nurture them. I am to provide for them. I am to guard them. And Jesus does that 
and more for his people, his followers. Later in John chapter 17, Jesus specifically prays for their protection from the evil one so that he would have limits on him. He cannot do just anything he wants. Also, he prays for their sanctification again in the truth so they'll in wisdom and godly character as they move through the trials of this life. And then, in John 17, 20 through 26, he intercedes for future believers just like those in this room who have given their life to Christ and come underneath his mercy. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. I see to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know who have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. For those of us who are his followers, this is written right to us. Jesus is praying for us, his future followers, so that we would flourish in our love for him and in our unity with each other and with him. And because Jesus knows that we live in a broken world of sin, his intercession includes praying for us battles of life that we may, that whatever we may face that undermines our sanctification and unity with him, he intercedes in those areas. In Romans 8, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? You see, Jesus prays for us in our trials and temptations and failures and distress. Now, some of you might have thought that the idea of Jesus interceding for you in the midst of your trials right now, before trials even start, may be a little new for you. You may have always thought that that was your job or that was the Holy Spirit's job. I mean, to help you get a little of your head around this, I want us to consider the example of Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested by the soldiers. After supper, Jesus and the disciples went to the Mount of Olives 
And Jesus told them that they fell away from him. Let's look at Peter's response. This is, the next section is from Matthew and Luke together. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter said to him, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Well, that night, Peter entered into a terrible trial of his loyalty to Christ. He was tempted to lie and deny Jesus to save himself, and so he did. His best intentions were no match for the fear and the confusion of the moment. Satan was lifting, Satan, excuse me, Satan was sifting, and his self-preservation came to the top. And his loyalty to Jesus dropped out the bottom. But didn't Jesus pray for Peter that his faith may not fail? Remember that? Yes. And so we need to examine Peter even more as to what's going on here. Because it looks like his faith failed. He had a lot of faith in his determination to be loyal to be responsible, to be not like those other disciples. Peter said, though they all fall away because of you, I fall away. He was speaking from his faith in himself. And Jesus used his failure to help him see that he cannot put his faith in his own strength. So later, after his failure, he repents and grows as more of his pride in his own ability is chipped away. This was part of his sanctification. If you and I realize that on our best day, with our greatest determination, like Peter, we will fail at some point. That's when we can see that what gives us strength is a reliance and pursuit of Christ and a clear-eyed view of our own weaknesses. Peter had been relying on himself to be the best disciple, and while Satan won that argument that Peter's loyalty was not that Peter's loyalty was to himself and not Jesus, Jesus' interception, intercession kept alive that little seed of faith in Christ that Peter had. And Jesus had the trial teach Peter the lesson of humbleness so that he should not look, on, look down on anyone his abilities too highly. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, 
But take heart, I have overcome the world. If Peter thinks much after his trial, he will see the truth in that. In fact, all of this would have influenced Peter so that he could write in the book of 1 Peter, which we'll look at now, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded who by God's power are being guarded. Guarded by who? Interceded by who? Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, like Peter, so that the tested genuineness of faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We put our faith in a lot of things, and so when God tests, it, tests us by fire, we will soon find out how much is faith in Him and faith in ourselves. Peter realizes through all this that he is guarded through Christ's intercession. He is not alone. Even if he has no earthly friend, he has Christ. He does not fight his battles alone, and neither do we. And he should give up trying to fight them alone, as we should. He can easily say, Jesus, pray for me because I am overwhelmed and I am not certain what to pray. Guard me from the evil one, for I am weak without you. Have you gone through an overwhelming trial? Are you wrestling with some besetting sin? Has the pain of life been more than you can bear? Are you at the end of your rope? Jesus is already praying for you just like he did Peter. Jesus had already prayed for Peter before his trial. There's a verse in the Old Testament that it reminds me of this. It says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer them. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear their prayer. God is looking out. Jesus is looking out. Even before our trial appears to begin. Christ did not deliver Peter from his trial. Remember that? He guarded him through it. We, out of our trials that we may be in, because God wishes to use those trials maybe to teach us humbleness like Peter or maybe to teach us something else. You see, God's ultimate goal and priority in our lives is our sanctification. He is taking us through this life and using our trials to chip away our sinful bent. In James, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All that we've learned in Peter's story, we should consider that when it talks about the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, it is not talking about me being steadfast in a nicer version of me. It is talking about me being steadfast in Christ living through me. And of course, that will require me to be in a more vibrant relationship with Jesus. And to the extent that my relationship is shallow or vibrant with Jesus, that is the extent to which people will see me or they will see Jesus living through me. Now, as we we consider Jesus interceding for us and praying for us, let's go ahead and look at uh, Psalm 91. It is a good description of the way Jesus, I believe, regards Peter. So I want you in your imagination to see if you can hear Jesus say these things to Peter. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him, and with long life I will satisfy him and show my passion. When Peter calls to me, I will answer him. I'm putting his name now in there. I will be with Peter in trouble. I will rescue Peter and honor him. Now for a moment, can you hear Jesus say these things to you? Can you put your name in there? I will be with Bill in trouble. Put your own name in there. He will be. He wishes to be. And so far as you... (laughs) If your path is hard, he is interceding on your behalf. During your trials and temptations, disasters and loneliness, he will be with you because he has promised to be with you in trouble. So like Peter, you can come out like precious gold. And even when the trials of life take your life from this earth, he will show you his salvation in heaven. If you are at a loss of what to pray in the moment of your time of trial, When there is no clear direction, don't stay silent. Say, Jesus, you love me. You know what is best. Please pray for me. As the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, would you join me in a, a prayer? Lord Jesus, you are our intercessor uh, and probably have interceded in ways that we have no idea of in this life and will never until we come to be with you. Lord, please open our eyes to the times you have saved us from tragedy and trial and the times you have taken us through them. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, we confess that we don't keep our 
relationship with you vibrant enough that you live through us as much as you want to. Please, Lord, help us to do that. We ask this in your name. Amen.